Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Riomar. Riomar is a sponsor of the Fried Egg. Uh, they are also a sponsor of the Shotgun Start. They make awesome shoes. So these are great shoes. They're slip-on shoes. They're like they've got a bunch of different styles. They have chuckas too, if you like tie-up shoes. But they're leather shoes, waterproof leather. They've got an antimicrobial lining, which you know keeps the stink out of your shoes. I mean, these are great shoes. They're slip-on shoes that you can wear to the club, back to the club whenever we can get to the club again or to the course. But in the meantime, I've been wearing mine around the house a ton, uh, letting the dog out because they're easy to get on and get off. One of the things that makes these shoes unique is that they have custom bearings. So you could get your initials, you could get your school colors. They've got a couple different designs also, and you can always change them out. So you can kind of give your your shoes a new look with just popping in and out uh, a new set of bearings. Check out Riomar. Their their website is riomarshoes.com. And if you like the shoes, which you should, I like them. I don't know. I've got good taste, I think. Um, You might disagree. But I like them a lot. Uh, Use the promo code TFE and you'll get 15% off. So that's realmarshoes.com and the promo code is TFE for 15% off. All right, today's guest is Christina Kim. Christina Kim is an LPGA star. She's been out there for almost 20 years now. Uh, She's played on a couple Solheim Cup teams. She's also won a few times. So uh, we talked to Christina about her love of architecture and golf courses, uh, and then also her career. So long, uh, winding conversation, and you know Christina is full of energy. She's she's awesome, awesome person, and uh, hope you guys enjoy this interview. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Is this like the longest you've been home for a long time? Outside of like uh, you're the off, like the holidays. Yes, by far, this is the longest I've been home. Whatever home may be, whether it's California or here in Orlando, where I currently live. It, so this is the longest I've been home for. I don't know, almost twenty years. It's got to be wild. It, it is wild because one re- another reason why I live in Florida is because. Once it gets hot, I'm not here. So I don't mind living in Florida because I don't have to deal with the unbearable weather at times. And so I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, we're in the you know second week of April and it's 90 degrees. I mean, today it was actually quite nice. It's like 82, but it's so humid right now anyway. And I'm just like, I, I, I want to be, I, I mean, clearly right now this week we would be in Hawaii. So I would much rather be in Hawaii, obviously. Yeah, that's that's the tough thing. Is like you, everybody, especially like the tour pros in Scottsdale, they're going to be getting into the the hot weather there. And Florida is getting hot. It's like almost it's, it's not the time you're used to being home. So what have you been doing to keep yourself busy? 
Well, I, <clears throat> my county here in Florida, since the state of Florida has gone into a month long, month long shelter in place, my county has decided to allow golf to be considered an essential activity with people that have a tendency to oftentimes come and retire in Florida. You're going to have people that come down to Florida with the uh, the goal of wanting to play golf all the time. So I think, you know, when you're, even though you're in that more sensitive age range, that could be, um, you know, more, you know, the, the complications of getting COVID-19 could be worse. All they want to do is play golf. So I've been playing 27 holes a day minimum. Uh, this last week, my golf course, the private course here in Orlando, they closed down the driving range. So it's been a lot of fun. Just basically just pulling up out of the car, grabbing, like I leave my golf cart here at the, in the cart barn, grabbing your cart and then taking a couple of swings, doing a couple of stretches. And then it's just like crack uh, like five times. And, you know, cause we'll play in five sums a bit. We play in like three and hour, three, three and a half hours or something like that for 18 holes. Cause everyone's got their own cart, but it's just a, it's a lot of grunting. <laughs> throughout the uh, throughout the day for the first few holes you do you are you normally more of a range rat or do you play more well when the range was open i would practice i i do enjoy practicing because i'm in a constant i mean i'm i'm fairly fortunate because you know when you look at like you know i i have my flight scope or when i get on track man or whatever my path angle is never more than one degree um, you know, whether it's coming over the top a little bit or coming from the inside a little too much. So my swing path is pretty much always at zero, but I do always feel like I'm working on something. And I also have a tendency to, I, I, I mean, like some of my caddies least favorite words are, let me try something here, like in the middle of a tournament. And, you know, like most of the time, because I'm just like, you know, I'll try something and I'm confident with it. So it's going to be okay. You know, I, so I, I do like to play around with shots. But I like to balance a bit of both. And when I say balance, I mean hit balls for an hour, putt for like 30 minutes, and then play 27 holes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, for me, golf is golf is everything. Um, I did, however, last week, or I, I have no concept of what day of the week it is right now. It might have been <laughs> earlier this week. It's, it's funny how that works. Like no, yeah. no concept whatsoever because every day seems like it's the same. Exactly. Like I, all I know is next week on Wednesday, I am going to be going and donating platelets over at one of my local um, blood clinics. So it's like the first time I'm legitimately using my calendar app on my phone. Cause normally I'm like, okay, it's practice round day. So chances are it's Tuesday, maybe a Wednesday. Cause we have a couple three day events or if it's a pro-am, it's like, all right, boom, Wednesday at the very earliest, most likely Thursday. And then, you know, if I'm, you know, once I know the cut's been made, I'm like, okay, it's Saturday. And then when you, you know, it's, I, I have not had to worry about what day of the week it is for a very long time. So it's, uh, you know, this is the, I guess, you know, I mean, first, first, not even first world problems. These are first class world problems. And so I'm just like, I think it's Friday. It is, I'm going to go. With it is Friday. It's, I, Yay! I, I did have a, I thought for at some point today. I, I was like, God, it's Thursday. Because I think I saw somebody posting something about Augusta, and I thought they said, like, it would be a great first round today. And I was like, wait, is it Thursday? 
Yeah, I, I, well, and like when you, when, like my brain was not, my brain just has not been working. I, I don't, I don't have a concept of a lot of normal things, if you will. So when, you know, when we're trying to figure out timing for everything and I'm like, wait, what day, Ooh, where are we now? And like, and then on top of that, my phone, I always leave everything on military time. So I'm like, wait a minute, where, okay, hold on. I'm like, Andy's in Chicago. Um, okay. Let's try and figure out what is happening. Yeah. It's, it's for so many reasons, a crazy, crazy world we're in right now. Like these are the, the smallest of problems that yeah. any of us are having to deal with. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, I don't want to talk too much about it. I, I, I think I, uh, my job is to keep people, people, people's minds off of, you know, what's going on. So I, I'm curious, you, you are, uh, you're an architecture golf course junkie and, you know, when you're on tour, a lot of times you sneak in rounds during the week at courses nearby or on the way from one stop to another. And I'm just curious, when did this, when did this practice start? When did you start really exploring courses that you weren't playing on a given week on tour? Well, so my boyfriend, Duncan French, he's from New Zealand and he, we've been together. It'll be 10 years in July um he and I started yeah obviously so it was 10 years so we started dating 10 years ago and he's always been a you know huge fan of golf architecture and I I always say that I'm very fortunate because I basically grew up between Pebble Beach and Olympic Club and so I have in theory had a lot of access to some pretty phenomenal golf courses growing up that being said I was very I mean I was a stupid kid I knew nothing. I was just like very, just like, I'm going to play golf. I'd be like, oh, that putt was fast. And oh, this course is pretty and all of that stuff. So I would say realistically, this has probably been something that's kind of been brewing for the last five to seven years or so. I don't know. I, I was always the kind of person where it's like, well, if I'm on tour, I'm always going to find something wonderful about the tournament because you know, we could be on a golf course that some players will say it's crap or whatever, but I'll be like, oh, okay, but, you know, the food's great in the city or our fans are awesome or, you know, we've got one or two really tough holes that I can really appreciate and things like that. But in the last few years, Duncan's really gotten me into architecture and we've gotten to know Michael Clayton really well. And he's just, he's, he's, he's a legend. He's an <laughs> absolute legend. I love that guy so much. And, um, you know, like, a, I know. Like, isn't it amazing how, like, you know, I, I know Michael through the internet and then like when I met him for the first time, I was like, Oh my God, you're exactly what I, like I expected you to be, you know, he Absolutely. Like, yeah, for sure. who he is is who he is. And it's so, it, it's like refreshing how like, you know, how honest and, and just like authentic he is. For sure. For sure. I mean, he's very Aussie in that sense. Cause they don't, like to sugarcoat stuff. They just say things how it is. It's, it's not, you know, it, even if it's like, say if it's a criticism or something like that, they're like, I'm not, I don't have any personal stake in this. I'm just telling you this course is crap yeah. or, you know, like what she says quite a bit <laughs> to be fair, but he's, he's just remarkable. I love him to death. And, um, although I have yet to meet Tom Duncan, Duncan's been a fan obviously of his for years. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we had the opportunity to go play Tara E.T. And that was just, that place just blew my mind. Although, no, to be fair, I would say my, my real appreciate, the, the very, the very, the tiniest seedling of appreciation of golf architecture kind of came about when uh, we were at the 2000 and, 
10 U.S. Women's Open because it was we were over at Oakmont. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was able to go in and see the church pews and just be able to really grasp the idea of just such a big golf course and how amazing and miraculous the, the rolls of the hills were, how natural it felt while you're, you know, playing the ball along the ground because it's firm as shit. And so you have to, you know, you can't, it was a little different when the guys were there a couple of years ago, but you, you know, especially with being the ladies, you don't have as much club head speed. You're having to, you're being required to hit different shots. We only play from, you know, like 300 yards shorter than the guys do. So these guys will be hitting driver and hitting a wedge, whereas we're going to be hitting driver. And then, so they're 60 yards past us anyway. And then they're, they're usually two clubs longer than us as well. So it's like, okay, well, you've got a wedge in. I'm going to hit a five iron and you're going to land it past the flag and spin it back. I'm going to have to actually utilize the ground and chase something up. Yeah. So to be able to be at a golf course, that it, for some reason, something just clicked and it just really showcased how remarkable the, the structure of the ground was. Um, so that's probably where the seedling was really start, where it really started to flourish. Um, I think my first encounter with like true links golf was at my very first women's British open, which was at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's. And for me is still my favorite golf course in the UK. I've not been fortunate enough to play all of the greats yet, but there's just something so remarkable about, you know, like I, as soon as I started playing that course, I was like, I fell in love immediately played like absolute dog shit the very first time. But I was hooked to links golf because you know, it's not just bomb and gouge. You have to use angles. You have to be able to know when to play the ball up, when to play the ball down, understand how, you know, the, the natural contours of just everything within nature, whether it's, you know, the wind, where it's coming from. And there's a difference between a one o'clock wind or a wind that's at one thirty, and how much that can affect your ball. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's just, I, that was, there was a, there was a brief lull in time when, when I think, cause again, I was stupid as a kid, like my brain just kind of shut off, but partly with uh, getting to know Duncan and starting to date him and just, you know, the network that he's got and all the people we've spoken to. And, you know, we've got a really good friend who funnily enough, his name is Tom Watson. Uh, his dad <laughs> is, his dad's a golf nerd. I think his sister's name is, it's either Augusta or Azalea. One of those is her first name and one of those is her middle name. And so Tommy would go and he, like when we're in the UK, he would call up, during the tournament week and be like, Hey, you know, uh, I'm here with, you know, um, you know, now presently Dame Laura Davies and I'm Tom Watson. We want to come out and play. And <laughs> there was a story so where he came, <laughs> he came to this one golf course. I forget the name of it. I'll, I'll have to ask Duncan later where like the president of the club, <laughs> um, their like greenskeeper and everybody came to watch them play at dawn. And so Laura shows up and Tommy's there and he's like this, like, he he he's like five eight five nine, but he must weigh 120 pounds soaking wet. And he saunters up to the golf course, and they're like, "Who is this scrub?" And he's like, "I'm the Tom Watson you spoke to. It's not my fault if you thought I was, yeah. you know, one of the greatest ever." And so he's uh, he's been a huge impact on me as well in terms of understanding and appreciating golf architecture. And he's he's a lot like Michael, where he just says it how it is, and he has very I I will say he's got very very colorful language you you know that's uh, you just uncovered a, a great way to uh, everybody always asks like how do you get access to courses you know just change your name change your name to marco mira tom watson uh you know 
maybe legally first because then you're not technically lying. Exactly. That's just legally change your name and, and then you can uh, you know make it one of the great <laughs> golf names and and you'll get out at anywhere you want. <laughs> yeah, because have... we're not we're not all like Tom Doak who could just call places up, you know, like when he first started. Like you can't just you can't just call places up because now there are a lot of them are more wise to to, you know, randoms wanting to come in if you will. Yeah, yeah. It's uh is the uh that's what I mean one of the toughest things and that's what the beauty of like um you know the UK and in Australia is you can go see them I'm curious you've played golf competitively all around the globe and you've gotten to play you know then casually also at all these places you know where where's your is it what part of the world is your favorite to play in oh it's it's hard to say um in terms of complete golf experience, I would say New Zealand without a doubt. There's, and when I say New Zealand, I mean, realistically, yeah. the only you know, truly remarkable course that I've played over there yet was Tara Edie. And that is like my number one in the entire planet for my entire lifetime. I, um, for me, for various reasons, Oakmont was number one for, you know, about six or seven years. And then I went and had the opportunity to go and play Tara Edie. Um, and it just blew my mind. And obviously, since Duncan's from New Zealand, I am very partial to it. I will say if, you know, if anyone's ever thinking, oh, you know, I'd love to go do a golf trip down in Australia, this, that, whatever. And I might do like a quick layover, stop over in New Zealand. Two things, because I absolutely, and I mean, sand belt golf and just golf in Australia is just, it's so good. There's something about just really good, rich, nutritious soil that you can just there's there's it just changes the way that golf is played and so i would say if you're really thinking that you should do one or the other um you can't get anything done in new zealand that you would want to in a couple of days you need you know the last time i was there well not the last time i was there but the previous time i was there for about 20 days and i don't know i got i got to do about five percent of what i wanted to it is it is the most spectacular place on earth that's and, I, it's like california but with a fraction of the people, right? A fraction of the people, the food, like you can taste the sunshine in the tomatoes. There's, there are like no GMOs. I don't even think they understand what GMOs are over there. The meat is so fresh. The seafood is remarkable. Like you just go, you just go and fish. Um, just, you can truly forage for yourself pretty much anywhere. The wine is, you know, if you like Pinot Noirs and Sauvignon Blancs, they're they're truly among the best in the world. The people are incredible. And like when it comes to Australia, which is, you know, so for me, it's probably that, you know, Australasian, you know, down under kind of golf would probably be my overall favorite. There's so much that I appreciate about appreciate about golf in the UK as well. But there's it, it's so cold sometimes that it's nice to be able to have, you know, a day when it's like. 70 80 90 100 degrees and then yeah you can, if you wanted to go in the fall and play when it's like 50 degrees or something like that that's great but you're just sitting there and it's like if you're gonna like be like oh okay i'm gonna go play uh hoy lake or i want to go over and and play hesketh or something like that it's like you gotta you can't just book your flight two months in advance you gotta like look at the 14 day forecast be like oh my god it says that they're gonna be into a heat wave it's gonna be 94 degrees in six days i'm buying my ticket now so i can play on that day um you know, if you wanted to have like that, the, that, that enjoyable, warm experience, like obviously when we go for the Scottish Open and the Women's British Open, you know, that's you anticipate having that the slashing down rain, 
the gale force winds, all of that stuff. Um, and that's one of the things I really love whenever I do go over there and I, and I expect it. Like it's, it's one thing that I look forward to because I love when conditions get not just tough, but like they get to the point where you sit there and you're like, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't even know what to do here. Like I'm 150 out, you know, I would normally hit like a strong eight or a little seven or something like that. And I'm like, all right, dude, like, you go ahead and take your seven iron and just watch it just waft up into the wind and come 40 yards short. I'm going to chip a little five iron and just kind of run it up into the green and hit it to like 10 feet. Like it's uh, that's, it just requires so much creativity, but it's also nice to be able to have the option be like, but a few months later you can go and play when it's like a hundred degrees. And then, you know, six months later you can go back and it'll be like you're at the British open and things like that. Um, Again, that being said, Everything in Australia is trying to kill you. That's the only thing that I, that I think uh, that's one of the few things that makes me want to do New Zealand more than Australia. Because literally everything is trying to kill you from the smallest bug. You can get like your heart punched out by a kangaroo, like obviously saltwater croc, bull sharks. I love, love Australia and I love the culture. I love their like, you know, not, not carefree, but they're just so like chilled out and relaxed. And, you know, they do also love to drink. And it's, it, it's awesome. And New Zealand is very, very similar, but nobody's trying, nothing's trying to hurt you over there. Would you say um, like Australia, New Zealand, if you put like a spectrum together and you've got the UK on, on one end and you've got the US on the other, it's kind of right in the middle? No. no. It's, it's a lot closer to UK in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, obviously I love, you know, I was born and raised here in the U S I'm, I'm a very proud American, but most of the time I'm proud to be American. Um, and I think that there's just recently, there's just been this un, yeah, like inexplicable and like completely inexcusable reason that people are becoming obsessed with green lush grass bomb and gouge um you know you can have a green like you know a lot of the com the complexities of golf courses have been lost due to so many trees out there um you know you're sometimes you feel like you're only on one hole at a golf course at a time which i can understand at times you want to have that sense of seclusion and things like that but you you don't see any other parts of the golf course other than the hole that you're on greens although you know i love fast greens I don't think that putters like the best putters necessarily showcase themselves when greens are fast. I think that um, a lot of times like green complexities and things like that are, are sort of taken away when greens are too fast. So I don't know. It's just, it's just American golf is just very different these days, unless you go to somewhere like a, you know, like the loop, or if you were to go to, um, you know, like I played uh, the sandbox and mammoth dunes when, uh, we were over in Wisconsin and things like that. And so I think that in a perfect world, and also, I mean, like we've been in like a national drought for ever. So you would think that people would want to appreciate the idea of brown is beautiful or if nothing else, just so that we can have water accessible to everybody and not have random wildfires just scourging the entire earth. Um but that's 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 something else altogether. But I would I would put it a little bit closer towards uh, the UK than to the US, in my opinion. I, I wanted to talk about this a little later, but I'm I'm curious. You're uh you're you're like one of the OGs of the LPGA tour. You've been you've been on it for almost twenty years now, mm-hmm. which 
And um, I'm curious about how the tour has evolved since you were, uh, what, 19, 18-year-old on tour um, yeah. to, to net today. Well, um, obviously just like, just like on the men's tour, cause I know they, they just, they just showed like the 97 masters and, you know, you look at the players out there and, and I was talking with one of my friends this morning and he was like, yeah, they, uh, you can definitely tell like they, the, the field back then looked a lot more like there's just a sea of substitute teachers. Whereas now everyone looks more like actual athletes, if you will, That's which I found. <laughs> Yeah, it did make me laugh when I when he told me that. Paul, and... Paul Stankowski and Tommy Cole. <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know, so fashion aside, and then he was like, and then you see Tiger, who's this like life, um, you know, like panther-like figure that just sort of like slinked around, like not even like a tiger, not even like Tiger just wasn't moving like a tiger. He was moving like a leopard or like a panther almost, you know, because it was just that sort of sinewy sort of just flow that he had and so there's a bit of that out here on tour as well the ladies obviously you know they've always for the most part they've always been relatively fit but there's been a huge explosion in terms of fitness a huge explosion in terms of understanding nutrition and it's gotten it's gotten a bit more business-like for sure and again I was so stupid when I first got out on tour I, I was oblivious to everything so I can only talk about the things that I like know. So I don't, and again, I don't also know if it's different because I am those girls now, because like you said, I mean, I'm entering my 19th year as a professional, my 18th season on the LPJ tour and I've seen everything. So now I'm at the age where I'm looking at these kids that are the age that I was when I first, you know, got my tour card. And I was like, I mean, I was stupid, but some of y'all are stupid. Uh, <laughs> I mean, every, I think everybody looks at their younger self and says that. Yeah, no, I was stupid, but they're stupid. Like, they're <laughs> so stupid, like, you know, like, everyone's everyone's great and kind and, and wonderful, but I'm just, like, like, I'm, like, I sit there and I'm, like, I'm, like, twice your age, but you don't understand the concept of this version of new technology? Like, what? Like, I didn't have a cell phone at your age and you've had one since you were nine. Like I, I don't think about that. It's, it's, it's remarkable, you know, or it's like, you know, if I like, you know, I would like, obviously when you're younger, it's like, you know, it's never your fault because you're like, Oh, like I, I knew I should have hit the eight iron, but you told me to hit seven iron or something like that. And I, you know, would sit there and like, you know, cause my dad caddied for me on my first three and a half years on tour, which was really cool. Cause he was there for my first win. He helped me gain my first uh, Solheim cup point, which was awesome. And, you know, I, so we would have like, you know, stats and things like that, but that was also just because, you know, we, we are identical in so many ways. So when you're basically trying to get your point across to a mirror, that's voicing the opposite thing, it's really hard to get anyone to back down, but like some and, of the And it's their I, parent, it's your parent, like naturally, like they're, they're supposed to tell you the way to do it, but in a player caddy relationship, it's so much different. Well, and when you're a young adult as well, you know, you're supposed to be embarking on this journey to learn things or whatever. Or, and, and everyone, like, I was so stupid back then that I, I, I was like, oh, I know everything. And nowadays I look and I'm like, I still don't know shit. So I don't know how you thought you knew anything back then. Um, but it's just like, I don't know. It's so funny because, like, after my dad stopped caddying for me, I, you know, and started working with other caddies, it's like it got to the point where I'd hit a bad shot. And, like, I would instead of just being like, oh, 
he gave me a bad club, I'd be like, oh, I'm an idiot because I decided to go against my own personal thoughts and took your advice, which you're only trying to provide me with assistance, but I should have stuck to my guns. Whereas nowadays, like, even if I, you know, I don't ask my caddies for much, like I have my own yardage book, I'm already calculating stuff, like, basically, from the moment I make impact with my tee shot, I have an idea of one to three clubs, I'm going to hit into the green, as soon as I make contact with my approach shot, I already know what kind of putt I'm going to have. Um, you know, and so nowadays it's like, I don't, I'll ask for, you know, I'll ask for a number, but it's more like, I got this. Do you like something around that number? And if I miss a green, like I walk back and I like hand my club back and I'm like, I'm sorry, I missed the green. Like, I'm just like, it's amazing how much you can change as, as a, as a player and just as a human being and the way you see things and the way you see other people now. That's, you know, I, I played competitive golf up until like two years ago really you know from since college and and I just you look think about like through the years how like I didn't think I would get I was getting better and better but I didn't think that I was actually better I was just becoming less of an idiot yeah I I, see so for me I think that I just have an understanding of like the the longer I've been competitive you know, cause I was like, I don't know, 12 years ago, I was like top 15 in driving distance. I mm-hmm. might've been top 10. I'm not entirely sure. Like, whereas now, like, you know, which is such bullshit with these like ginormous heads. I have no business being like in golfers hands these days. I've lost yardage. And I don't know if it's because the golf club is so big or if it's because like, I, like, if you look at my driver, it's like the, the wear spots dead in the middle every single time. And it's always been that way, but I was much longer back in the day. And so I kind of like, I sit there and I'm just like, okay, I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get some distance back, but I'm not, you know, one of those kids that's hitting it 15 yards further now with all this technology or whatever. But I know, I know myself as a player now, like I sit there and I'm like, I'm, you know, I've always been a phenomenal ball striker, gotten to understand my putting a little bit better. And more than anything, so much of golf, like truly is mental because you sit there and it's like, you know, it's, it's funny. Like I've got a, a couple of kids out here that I um, sort of, I wouldn't really say mentor cause they teach me a lot, <laughs> but um, you know, a kid, Brendan Valdez, who's just a remarkable golfer. He signed with Auburn as a, as a freshman in high school. He just has these, un, like he'll play like 30 yard draws and 40 yard cuts and he'll play it high. He'll play it low. He'll, you know, take his 64 degree and throw it out 120 and have it come back to like 98 or something like that. It's, it's unbelievable. Some of the shots that he has, which provides me with hope for the future of golf in a lot of ways. But like, I sit there and I just, I kind of watch him and I'm like, you're so impressive. But you know, when you, when you, when you get angry, I'm just like, okay, you didn't hit that shot. Perfect. Like that doesn't mean you're not in the water. Like, UK, let's say you you ripped it back too far and it took the false front and ended up rolling 35 yards from where you carried it. Like one, maybe you could have thought of clubbing up one and just kind of chipping something up there, running it up. Or you could sit there and think, okay, like my ball is here now. I can still make birdie. Like doesn't have to be because you, you know, lip out for eagle or something like that. Um, so I, I think a lot of it is just like my mentality and my just understanding of, it's not just that nothing is perfect because as a golfer, like we have that psychosis where we're always thinking, no, it's never been proven that perfect can happen, but I, maybe I'm the one, maybe I'm the one that can prove it is, it is possible. But 
nowadays, you know, instead of getting really angry at shots, I'm just like, this is going to be the sickest up and down anyone's ever seen. Or, you know, man, I, I didn't see that coming or something like that. But that's not to say that I'm going to immediately walk away with a bogey or, you know, I can still make birdie. Um, like this year at, at when we were over at Royal Adelaide, which, oh, just love that place so much. It looked like the, awesome. It's so, I mean, I'm not going to lie. And I, I, I did feel a little bad because after the tournament was over that night, the entire grounds crew, which they had an unbelievable number of people that were there that would basically be up at three o'clock in the morning, get the course in pristine condition. And then as soon as the last putt dropped at seven o'clock, they were back out there doing everything they could to keep the course perfect and do it just, you know, day in, day out. Um, so my uh, Duncan and I, we kind of crashed their um, after party a little bit. And, you know, because we just wanted like one, uh, uh, their their head, their head pro, Tony invited us. Um, but we just wanted, you know, just go and hang out with the guys and just be like, just you guys did such a great job. And I'm so sorry you guys got so little sleep for so long. But let's chug a few beers. Let's dance to a little music and let's just like have a rager and celebrate everything that happened. And I was just like, I'm really sorry, bro. But uh if i had to critique one thing because you know and i was praising it the whole week because i I love that golf course altogether but i was like i'm not gonna lie it was a little too green for my liking <laughs> um if i had to be picky about anything like think of how much like not just tougher the golf course would play but just how much more character of the golf course you could showcase by getting you know like just getting people to understand you know yeah, I mean, like, because our balls were probably, you know, jumping six to seven yards just in the first bounce. But I'm like, but think about how crazy it would have been where you're having to land something eight yards short of the green to be able to get it to stop in the middle because the winds were whipping. Um, like, there was just, it was just remarkable. It was, it, it was so much fun. Like, I, I, the, those two weeks in Australia were great. Like, I think it was, we had like the long, the, the strongest gust there in the two weeks while we were playing was like 70 miles an hour or something like that. But, because the greens weren't rolling at 12s, the balls were not oscillating and they weren't rolling away. So we were able to keep playing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think like, I, I, I think there's something so great because golf is an outdoor sport. Like weather happens, good draws happen. You play in the rain, you play, someone else plays in the sunshine, whatever, like stuff like that happens all the time. But you know, there's no better metaphor for life other than golf, in my opinion, because you sit there and you're like, boom, pipe to drive down the middle of the fairway, boom you know, hit it to eight feet and then boom, hit a perfect putt with perfect speed going right dead in the center of the cup. And then there was one blade of grass that you didn't see that just veers it offline or something like that. You do everything right and you could still get screwed. Like, yeah. that's and then, and then your playing so partner could hit a crappy drive, a crappy second shot, a mediocre chip, and then can is 20 footer and you make the same score. It's just, yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> it's just, the thing. It's, it's, it's a great equalizer. Yeah. It's uh, it's something you were talking about, you know, just with like firm conditions. I, I think one of my favorite things is when golf turns from, you know, distance to the pin to distance to front edge. And that's what mm -hmm. you're like. Everything revolves around what's what's the what's the yardage to the front edge instead of like, that's what you're thinking about. No matter where the pin is, is like, OK, like and that's when golf really comes alive. And, I, you know, that's I think what every course especially in america should be striving towards is like how do we get conditions where we're playing front edge golf for sure for sure or like say like pinehurst number two which i was very fortunate enough to play um you know the day after i finished a two-week long q school like excursion 
Um, you know, I was like, I, I was given the green light to be able to come out the next day and play. And I was just like, let's go. Like, I was so excited. So played the cradle, played number two. And it's just, you sit there and it's like, okay, you've got this massive, massive green that realistically only 60% of it at the very most is something you could actually play with. And within that 60% of the green, there's probably only 30 or 40% that you can actually play with in order to give yourself a viable option at birdie. Like, I, I think there's just something just so remarkable at just being able to just, I don't know, like, you know, utilize the false fronts or, um, you know, chase something up or I, I don't know. I think it's just, there's just something so cool about, you know, utilizing the ground because there's, it's like that. That's the thing that we're connected to as human beings, you know, we're always connected to the ground and, you know, it's just, there's so much of golf and, you know, even out here, like, obviously we, there's a lot of reasons why we play in carts. Um, you know, one is just to continue with pace of play. And I do understand that, but at the same time, like there's so much more you can appreciate about a golf course when you're walking it, you know, like that. And that's one thing I love about, you know, when, like I, last night I was going through, um, um, Tom Doak had sent me, uh, personalized copies for Duncan and me, the, um, you know, four of his five, uh, you know, the confidential guys. Yeah. Yeah. And so just, and just knowing that he's like, you know, I walk these golf courses and that in theory was enough to be able to grasp the concept of the golf course. Whereas a lot of times, you know, like I know there were some architects that had come to a certain golf course that's, you know, in the midst of construction right now for their renovation that they just did a helicopter flyby or they legitimately opened up Google Earth and thought, this is how I'm going to change the golf course just based off of the topography alone. Whereas like, you know, a friend of mine that I know, he was the only group that went out and actually walked the grounds and was able to truly get, you know, a feel of the golf course as opposed to just a, you know, quote unquote, three dimensional, um, you know, view of it. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, you get walking, you just notice so much stuff. I, I notice like a lot of times now I, I just walk courses cause I can do it really quickly. You know, playing is if I want to go see somewhere and I don't have a lot of time, I just go walk it. And, uh, like even without playing, like I recognize so much more stuff because I'm not just going around wherever my ball is. Like I'm just walking mm -hmm. and I've, I've, you know, you get singularly focused on your ball, you know, when you're playing, it's like, okay, sure. I'm going here. Like, just like you, you were talking about, like, you hit a shot, you already are thinking about what am I going to do on the next one or what my putt's going to be like or how am I going to get up and down here? And you miss all the stuff that's going on anywhere away. You almost get tunnel vision. Um, something I, I was curious about. So something Tom Doak has talked about um, on my podcast is uh, designing, a, a, yeah, <laughs> designing a course specifically for women. And um, if you were going to design a championship course for like the LPGA Tour, like like a TPC Sawgrass is for the PGA Tour. How would it be different than the traditional championship golf that you guys play week in, week out, if it was specific for, for the women's game? I mean, first of all, it would be hard as shit. Like, like not, not necessarily just difficult as shit, but it would be firm as shit. Mm -hmm. um, there would be... Um, hmm. So yeah, I would make sure that we, I would, I would probably do all fescue first and foremost, because yeah. fescue is my favorite, favorite type of grass. Um, I would, I don't know where I would put it. It would like for me, just because like my favorite place to play golf so far is like the great, the great lakes region. I have yet to play Ballyneal. 
or um, Sand Hills, although Duncan did. And so he did the two of them back to back days. So I didn't talk to him for a week. <laughs> I was not able to go because someone had to play in a golf tournament. <laughs> and so I can't say anything to, to the land over there, but uh, there would be, I don't know. I mean, cause the thing is you, it would, it would be a call, a course that you would want to challenge um, the LPJ players. So to one end, you would almost think, okay, well, if you look at the stats and a lot of it has to do with technique, obviously, but a lot of it also just has to do with a, lack of speed in comparison to the men, you know, the, the fairways hit percentage is so much higher on the ladies tour than it is to the men's tour. And then you kind of get into the battle of, well, if we're going to make it, you know, a, a women's golf tournament course, do we want to have the tips pulled back all the way to like 8,000 yards, which is where technology is basically forcing us to go these days. Um, and then have like our tournament tee boxes like way further up. Or would you it's, want it? To it's be- only it's only for you. You're only played one tournament a year on this golf course. It's it's LPGA. Say it's just the LPGA. You know your sixth major. We'll call it the the gold standard of the LPGA. Okay. Um, it would probably be about sixty nine hundred yards long. There would be a lot of. There wouldn't be crazy amounts of elevation changes, but I would have a lot of false fronts. Um. I would like to have, oh God, I don't know. I mean, a Redan would be nice. A uh, punch bowl would be great. Um, I don't have, I've only ever played one course really that I can think of that had like a thumbprint green. So I don't know if I would toss one of those in, but it would be firm as shit. It would be all fescue. And again, like you sit there and you're like, okay, well, in theory, if you want to, uh, really battle against the golf course to battle against the LPGA players because they're such straight drivers of the golf ball. Like you'd want to have like 21 yard fairways, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that narrow fairways should be what determines a course's difficulty because it's all about, you know, I would want to make sure that, you know, you would have, you would have to play angles because you would have to think like in order to get here, like I would, I would hope that if I created a golf course, I would get the players that were smart enough to think, okay, I'm going to hit my drive. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get onto the green. And then based on where I think they're going to put the whole locations, I'm going to turn around and then see where I have to drive the ball to in order to access this kind of pin. So there wouldn't be like, you know, it wouldn't be like crazy undulations to the greens, but there would be a few like subtle slopes that would, you know, prevent you know it would it would be very focused on making sure you hit your tee shots to the correct side of the green um you can, i would have you, bunkers you, with no rough between the fairway and the and the bunkers i'd want the fairways to run out into the bunkers um i sound really i mean i'm i'm very i'm not i you make it sound like i know what i'm talking about when it comes to architecture whereas i'm more like that's pretty i like that yeah no, no i was just curious I, I was thinking like you is you might have less bunkers pressed against greens especially if it's firm right and you might have great bunkers a little bit back of greens where your landing zone would be more so right because you'd want that ball to run up and i mean you could make fairways narrower by creating with with undulation and with undulation where you know if you don't hit a certain spot your ball goes really far right or really far left right you know right um but I, it's it's an interesting because like I've always thought like, you know, for you guys, which you hit on like, w- 
you you need it to be more narrow than what you know a standard golf course is or you, In i guess theory, you just, yeah because, we do i mean i mean we do i mean like, you, hit, you hit like you hit like what like 80 percent of your fairways or so probably to be honest and that and, and i sit there and i'm just like i can't believe i only hit 80 percent of my fairways <laughs> I wish. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I do this a little bit with my friends. Okay. So let's say, tell me, tell me the width of a conservatively narrow fairway for you. Like, like, like a, a narrow fairway, not I, just I mean, like what, 30 yards, right? Let, let's go 20, 20, right? Cause yeah. 20 yards is narrow. 20 is so, narrow. Yeah. Okay. In one yard, you have three feet. So in 20 yards, you have 60 feet in one uh, foot, you have 12 inches. So in 60 yard or 60 feet of fairway, you have 720 inches. You divide 720 by 1.86, which is a diameter of a golf ball. You can fit 427 golf balls in a 20 yard fairway side by side by side by side. I mean, now you make it seem really wide. You, you only get one ball too. So you, one golf ball comprises of less than like, a, it's like a quarter of a percent of a golf, of a, of a fairway. Yeah. And that's not even the part of the golf ball that's actually touching the fairway. Like it's for me, it's all about perspective. Like that's, that's, that's one thing. Like, for, I, I don't know. Like when we were in, um, at the, uh, over at Royal Adelaide, like we played a hole number 17, which Michael Clayton had done the redesign to that people were not happy with because he had a left to right sloping fairway with a couple of fairway bunkers in the middle. So you can take it down the right side or down the left side. And when I played it, um, you know, like it, it's a pretty severe slope on the, the far left side and it's, it visually looks flatter and more wide on the right. But again, like, it's like you go out there, you play your practice round and it's like, you sit there and you're like, okay, well, but there's like a fair, there's a, there's a bunker on the front, right. And then a hill before you get to the green. And there's like, there's a, a bunker way left and there's some like bunker, you know, over here and there and that, but there's this like beautiful trough coming from the left side of the fairway wouldn't you want to hit it down the left side of the fairway that so that you'd be able to utilize that left side and just kind of have it chase down there. And like, I don't know if it was like 80% of the girls went down the right and I'm looking, I like went down the right side and I'm like, where the hell is the green? Like all, basically all you see are bunkers and yeah. like the ability to hit into said bunkers. Cause you're, you're going to have to play such a massive cut and then hope for the, the terrain to take the ball in towards the fairway uh, towards the green so that you can maybe kind of nestle it up to the front of the green and i'm like it's like it looks almost dead straight if you go down the left side and everyone's like but it's so narrow i'm like but you got this huge slope on the left so you could take it basically left in the rough and you're going to almost guarantee that your ball is going to come back into the fairway onto the flat spot and duncan was talking with clates afterwards or, or uh during the week he told me afterwards he was like clates you you're supposed to hit down the left side right on number 17 and you know clates and his you know place fashion was like you know fucking course you do i mean hmm. what kind of idiot would ever think that if you want to actually give yourself a chance at you know eagle although it's a par four when the the men normally play it like why would you ever go down the right side like you're it, you know I, and so i sit there and i'm like it basically showcases your 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 weakness or your fears if you're going to take it down the right side because you think that tee shot is the safe play i'm like you can't hit it like you 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 can't hit Get it into the fairy bunker from the left side, basically. Isn't, um, isn't it interesting how, how when, you know, that, that hole, the way it sets up makes people make a decision and it's it kind of, if you're going to try and hit it down the left, it's going to be uncomfortable maybe, but because of that, they like automatically don't like it. 
No, because we're creatures of habit. We don't like being scared. We don't like doing uncomfortable things. Like, but the, all it, the only time it's ever uncomfortable is that very first time you hit it. Yeah. And then you hit your shot and you're like, huh, well, now I feel stupid. There's no, there's basically no conceivable way for me to hit it into those fairway bunkers if I go down the left, because if the wind's coming off the left, I'll just aim further left. And then it'll, you know, like it's, it's, it's just, it's hysterical. Like center, even the commentators said that you should be down the right side. I mean, center, center bunkers are so compelling in, in tournament golf because it makes you make a decision. I, I played the, the mid-am at Stonewall, which is a dope course. And, um, one of the, I was coming down the stretch. I'm like on the bubble of match play. And, uh, we played a practice round at this hole and it's like a, I think it's the 15th hole or 14th hole on the, on, on one of the courses at Stonewall. And, uh, there's a, this tiny little bunker right in the middle of the fairway. And we play the practice round and me and my buddies are just like, I, I mean, I guess you just aim right at it, you know, cause like I, the left, the left is where you wanted to go, but there's OB and like, you know, I'm not going to try and hit it. So I just like, oh, I'll just aim at it. Like what are the chances of me hitting it in this two yard bunker? So fast forward, I'm like on the bubble of, of mash play. Sure enough, hit it right into the bunker. Like hit it, best try of the day, lands right into it. And like, it's just like, but I, I was too chicken to make a decision. So like, right. it, in, in, if, if I was, if I was smarter, I would have just, you know, said, Hey, I'm hitting it up the left. I'm playing well. I can hit this shot, but I didn't. And I, I got penalized because of that. But, Everybody will say, oh, that's unfair because I hit it right down the middle of the fairway. See, whereas I sit there and I think, if I'm just going to aim at that bunker, I'm going to hit it in that bunker because I'm that straight with my driver. <laughs> and then also, if we had had that talk about how big a 20-yard fairway is, because I'm sure there was at least 20 yards oh, yeah. of fairway I mean, there's like, that bunker. There's like 30 and 40 yards. I mean, oh, my God. Come on, Andy. I mean, it's Come just, on. the chance of me hitting the two yard bunker is so, but, but that's what it makes you uncomfortable and it makes you do something you don't want to do, which I didn't want to aim at a bunker, but I, I felt like I had to aim at the bunker. I didn't have, well, to- I wish I was padding for you that day. I would have, I would have been like, girl, no, you're going to, you got to man the hell up. Like we're going down that left side. <laughs> I, you've got this, you have this. Hey, uh, I want to talk to you. I, I read a Alan Shipnuck article from your from your rookie year in oh, SI. I, I want I want to hear about driving around the driving the country with your parents from stop to stop. Yeah, no, we did this. Let's see. So I came back to California in um, August of two thousand and two because I had finished my rookie and, and only year that I had played on what is now the Symmetra Tour, then called the Futures Tour, finished number two on the money list. Back then, they only gave out three cards um, and lost to Lorena Ocho for Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year by like $242 or something like that. that. Not that I you know, think about the actual <laughs> figure or whatever. Um, mind you, she had, she her season started in May. Mine started in March. So she absolutely deserved it. And so uh, flew back home. My parents uh, both my parents were there because my dad was catting for me on the uh, Futures Tour then as well. They decided to drive. We were in a, like a 1995 Dodge van that like a, a what are those things? Called? A conversion van. So it had mm-hmm. like wood paneling, TV like in the thing. We had like 
some of the seats taken down and like I was napping in the back whenever we'd be driving and all that stuff. And I had gotten my license at 17. So I was still very new to driving. So the idea of being in this like big ass white van driving was an absolute thrill for me. And like, we were so like, it was such a nice van that back in the day we had like a six disc CD changer attached to the, the sound system with including the speakers in the back. So I was like, I had like, uh, Lincoln Parks, Hybrid Theory, Godsmack, Fungus Among Us by Incubus. <laughs> those those three those three albums are still every time I hear iconic, any iconic, iconic iconic album. Iconic. Those they always bring me back. And so that that um, as a fall was coming in, my dad was like, "Hey, you know, I think uh, you know you've played a lot of great golf. Um, you know, it's about to get cold, you know, and by cold, it's like 50 degrees is a high in, in San Jose where I grew up. Like I could play 365. And so he was like, I have an idea. And I'm like, all right, again, I'm a stupid kid. Like, I'm just like, okay, like, you know, and obviously being daddy's little girl, I was always like, okay, daddy, like basically, you know, whatever you want, like, even though we're going to fight about it because I'm just, you know, combative like that when I was young and I don't know if it was hormones or some shit. I was like, well, we'll pretty much end up doing whatever you wanted. And he was like, I think we should go and try and play as many of the golf courses. Because remember, you're a rookie. So you're coming into mm -hmm. these tournaments with a lot less experience on these golf courses. And I'm like, okay. So he's like, so I called up. We're going to go play over in California, like two or three courses. We're going to go play in Arizona. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like West Coast Swing. Like that, that's cool. You know, and we at 21 golf courses we played in it was something like in a month or in like 40 days or something like that it was so long ago I honestly don't remember and so we drove and I remember I think it was November of that year because we must have started in like September or late September or sometime in October I was playing at Waikagil Country Club in Westchester New York I was the only person on the golf course because there was like an inch and a half of snow on the ground and they let me play for some ungodly reason <laughs> And I was just like, they were like, do you want to use a yellow golf ball so that you can see it? I'm like, no, it's fine. I'll just keep it in the fairway. And then I'd be like, so let me know where is the fairway so I can keep it within it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I played, uh, like went to Ohio, played um, at Tartan Fields over in Dublin. Like just like, I just, you I were just were on, You were on a mission. You guys were just going. Was there any stops? Did you do any, any cool, like, did you sightsee at all on, on this, on this drive around the country? What the hell was there to sightsee? Like I saw like the Hoover Dam when we drove by it. Like I did for like and and again like back in the day. I mean, growing up in California, you've got you know the the beautiful beaches um, of California. You've got those you know wonderful like cliffs and amazing you know rugged terrain and That's things like point. that. And the seaside, you've got Yosemite National Park. You've got Death Valley. Like for me, I'm just like it's. I'm like I want. And again, I mean, I was just like I want to play golf. Like I, you were stopping. My dad see. had a plan. You are stopping to see Abraham Lincoln's house in Springfield, Illinois. No, we did not actually. I'm not gonna lie. I did not think I, I didn't think about that. Like I, you know, back in those days, just like in many ways I am today, I was so golf obsessed. I was just like, Oh, we get to pull in more golf and I'm like, Oh, I get to see a new golf course. And my dad's like, Well, you're technically providing yourself with an opportunity to get a practice round in. And I'm like, There's eighteen T bucks and an eighteen green Like I was just like, you know, I, I just Probably one reason why I still play 27 holes a day out here. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's good. So I, you you were obviously very you were like a phenom when you're coming out and you had a ton of success. How hard was it dealing with like 
you know, you became like a celebrity when you're essentially like 20, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. Was that hard? Like I couldn't imagine my 21 year old self dealing with something like that. I think again, because I was again, so, so stupid. I was so, I was so, I was so young and so naive. Like, and, and at the same time when you're in like, like I'll say like, you know, if I, if I like taking an example, if you're 10 years old, one day in a 10 year old's life is such a greater percentage of your entire life than a day in the life of someone that's 80 years old, you know? So for me, knowing you know what took place in the past like i sit there and i'm just like yeah i can sit here and say yeah i was stupid like you know i'm still stupid but it's i i'm aware that i'm stupid now i was just oblivious back then but i think that a lot of um you know it was it was it's hard to compare yourself to anything other than what you are because it's all you know and so at the time i didn't see myself as like a celebrity i still think it's weird that people would consider me one at all at any point in my life I'm like dude I'm just some dude like just give me a golf club and let me just go swing and like make putts and like have fun and things like that you know like I I never really thought um you know and again to an extent it's that the the very nature of being a golfer you have to be able to uh be selfish when you need to like I'm 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 very compassionate I'm very empathetic I care a lot about people I care about um you know the few friends I have they are like my bloodline and I would, you know, die for them. Um, pretty much anybody that I know, if they called me and said, dude, I've been like hauled into jail. Can you come in and bail me out? You know, depending on what the charges are, like, absolutely. It doesn't, you know, I, but, you know, at, at then I was able to be selfish enough to not think about what other people were doing because everyone's like, you're so different. And I'm like, I'm just some dude. Like, I, I don't understand what you mean. Like, you know, whenever I, if I were to come into a room and have everybody laughing, I'm like, everybody's laughing. So why are you making it seem like I'm any different from anyone else? We're all just having a good time. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think some of the oblivion is. But I don't know. I'm again to this day, I'm just some dude. Like, yeah. wow. That's it's refreshing. You know, it's authentic. You have you have throughout your career always been very you know yourself, and you do things your way. And you've had your own style, and and I think that's that's something that's admirable because in our society and especially I feel like in, in professional sports, there's, there's almost a a pressure to conform because people, this is the way it it is. And this is the way people act. And, and, and people that do things differently sometimes have, have to face pressure to do, to conform to what the way it's always been, especially in a sport like golf. Uh, well, I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've, I've been given a couple of requests to conform at, at certain times in my life. Like, I, I remember, um, I think it was maybe 2004. So it was my second year on tour. I, because growing up, I mean, I colored my hair by myself on my own all the time. Like, I've had my hair every length. I've had, you know, I, I had like super short hair that I would spike up and, you know, dye every color of the rainbow. I had like a cheetah print going on when I was 13 or something that. Um, you know, was, wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a mistake, but it was a look. And, you know, I remember <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm going to dye my hair. We were in Phoenix and I went dyed my hair and I was like, all right, like, this is like a vibrant red, like, dude, let's go. And I, after I, after I washed it out, I was like, huh. Um, do you remember the Britney Spears music video for the song toxic? 
I I don't. My wife would definitely remember it. I I you know my wife's a huge Britney Spears fan, but I have to say that I didn't see the toxic music video. Okay, then it was Stoplight Red at not at at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it was it was neon red. Like it was it wasn't neon, but it was the most vibrant red I've ever seen. And my dad lost his damn mind. And I'm not going to lie, like completely, completely justified because I was like, yeah, this is a little bit. I was expecting a slightly deeper hue when I put this on. So, yeah. And he was like, you have to change your hair right now. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. This is maybe a little too bright even for me. But um, like growing up, like, you know, the the Korean media, they, you know, so some of them found me very, very, very polarizing. And they had such a head start on um, the whole not reporting the news when you're supposed to be reporting the news thing. It was very, very much like, hey, you know, we're going to like, instead of taking in facts, we're just going to do an entire newspaper based on op-ed because people apparently think that my opinion matters and that I'm going to educate you based off of what my opinion is. Whereas I'm sitting here and like, where's like, I need Tom Brokaw. Like, just tell me what's going on so I can come to my own conclusion and not be told what I'm supposed to think, allow me to make my own decision. And so um, there were, you know, there were a couple of opportunities where I was told if you're willing to, you know, chill the hell out a little bit, like, you know, we can talk about sponsorships, or if you wanted to, you know, grow your Korean fan base, then, you know, you're going to have to, you know, like, and this was like, you know, maybe during a skinny year, they'd be like, maybe, you know, like, put on some more clothes or, you know, do whatever. And I'm just like, okay, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be friends with someone that I later found out wasn't being themselves. So why would I want someone to be my friend based off me not being myself? That's, that's bullshit. Like, wow. So I was like, okay, bye. Um, so, I mean, I guess I've been presented with a couple of opportunities, but I don't think there's, we only get this one life mm-hmm. in which none of us actually asked for. We just kind of happened um, you know, as a result of, you know, certain uh, actions that were taken prior to us coming to Earth. But, you know, we we're only given this one life as far as we're aware. So why wouldn't you want to live it to the fullest? And by the fullest, I mean, live your own truth. Exactly. Like, Be you. Yeah. And, exactly. and, and there's there are plenty of people who their authentic self is being more um you know, uh, conservative or more toned down or whatever that is. And as long as they're living their truths, I'm like, dude, more power to you. Like that is so strong. Like I, I think that's beautiful. Like I love the fact that you're living you. And if someone were to say, you know, I don't want to be who I am anymore because I, you know, I've lived my whole life being like this. And now I want to be like who I really am. Then I sit there and I'm like, you know, like a friend came out to me, um, a little over a year ago. And I mean, I cried when he, when he told me, because I was like, you are the bravest human being because I would not be strong enough to be anything other than who I am and to be here to this day. And you've lived almost 30 years not being who you wanted to be. Like you are the strongest person that I've ever met. Like this is just incredible. And so it was like, you know, obviously a huge celebration because it was like, you're living your truth. Like that is, that is, you know, when, for me, I think, because all I've ever known is just, being who I am. But when you go from being able to finally live who you are, I think that is just, that is so remarkable because it's different from what I've done. 
and it shows how strong you are to be able to make it this far and contain yourself. Um, that shows incredible strength, I think, in many ways. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, there's like kind of, it's, it's kind of on both sides, like being very, very much yourself all the time is, is one aspect of strength. And then somebody that has to, for a lot of, for fear of many different reasons, having to be somebody else that they aren't, they're, they're different, but they're a lot similar in the same, in the sense of like, you have to be very strong. It's, I think being yourself is like probably one of the best pieces of advice, simple piece of advice. If you're just yourself all the time, you're probably very rarely going to get yourself in trouble. You know? Um, For the most part, yeah. (laughs) That being said, I think that I, I, I consider me only knowing who I am and being myself is very, I was just me being lazy. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I, I think sometimes being yourself is harder than being conforming is easy. So it's the easy way out. You know, if, if you look at, oh, well, they did it this way. I'm going to do it that way. It's, it's sometimes can be the easy way out. Um, talk, uh, you, you were a rookie with Lorena Ochoa and mm-hmm. I feel like because Lorena Ochoa came before like the era of social media it, it, and it, it you know, if she had come 10 years later, it would be like people just be crazy about how good was Lorena Ochoa? Like put it in perspective of somebody that competed against her for, you know, a number of years. I would say in, God, like Lorena would be like the lady version of Sevy, Jack, and Tiger, in my opinion. She had the most unbelievable hands. Um, she could hit the ball an absolute mile uh, and toss Arnie in there too, because she was just, she was the most gracious human being that I've ever met. She, um, and I mean, I've been saying this for almost 20 years, like she should be canonized like 150 years from now, there will be like a Santa Lorena. Um, and she just had this unbelievable imagination, this incredible strength, a fearlessness, determination, fire, compassion. I mean, it was just some of the shots she hit were just unbelievable. And then at the same time, so profoundly human. Because when Birdie Kim won the U.S. Women's Open, when we were at, was that Cherry Hills, if I'm not mistaken? So that must have been 05 or 06? 05. Um, 05, yes. I re- I'm pretty sure Lorena hit two or three balls into the water on the 72nd hole. And it was like, but don't, don't drop kick, but don't, don't drop kick, but don't, don't drop kick. And she wanted that her first major so, so badly. And it, in so many ways, you could see something like that and think that it would completely, it has, it definitely has the ability if you allow it to completely destroy you as a golfer. And the fact that she was able to rise above that, become number one in the world and, you know, she was the fastest um, to get, in essence, qualified for the LPGA Hall of Fame. The only reason why she's not on the LPGA Hall of Fame is because she did not requ- uh, finish one requirement, which was stay on tour for 10 consecutive years. She didn't need to. Yeah. But that was the one stipulation she needed in order to qualify for the, uh, the LPGA Golf Hall of Fame. Um, 10 consecutive years. 
10 consecutive years. She lost, she, she played eight and she was like, boom, I'm in love. Boom. I want to get married. Boom. I want to make babies. And she's got, I think it's, I think she's got three of the most gorgeous children that I've ever seen. Um, but like one thing that a lot of people don't know about her is she would, you know, cause she hails from Mexico, born and raised in Guadalajara. And almost every week she would go visit with the superintendents, the greenskeepers, the grounds crew, and she would talk to them, you know, because a lot of them, you know, especially here in America, were were are are um, you know um, Mexican in descent, and she wanted to go in and connect with them. And she had this. It it was like, I, I when you go to Mexico and play in a tournament with Lorena, and I've been fortunate enough to be paired with Lorena. It's 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 not comical because it is completely um, they're they're completely founded in their reasoning of like. You're there. You, it's like 20 deep on every single hole and the crowd just get bigger and bigger and bigger. You've got mothers hanging at the ropes, holding their children up in the hopes that Lorena would touch the babies. Um, you have people of all ages. She, she transcended golf and she, she's, I mean, I get chills just talking about her. Like she is the most, the most remarkable person on the planet and so funny, so quick witted, like just everything about her is just remarkable. And it was, it, it was, it was, it showed how strong she was that she allowed her desire to want to get married and start a family and not have her family have to travel on the road with her, that she was willing to give up and sacrifice potentially one of the greatest careers that we will ever have seen in the history of golf. Um, 27, win, 27 wins in seven seasons. I mean, she made $4.4 million in a year on the LPGA in Tour. In a year, back in the early 20, 2000s and 2010s. $4.4 million. And another thing about that was every cent that she made on the golf course, she donated to her charity or to her foundation. Really? Every cent she made on the golf course went directly to her foundation. Like she, she, there's no one in my opinion would ever compete male or female for the entire completely whole rounded goodness that Lorena embodies. Not a single human on this planet. How, how is her game compared to Annika? Um, so Lorena, that she, she has the, she has that flair. She has that, um, that, 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 that fieriness. She has the, you know, la passion, if you will. She, that's why I say there's a lot of sevy in her. She's got remarkable imagination and she has just, you know, like she goes for broke as well. A lot of the time, like she will hit those shots where you're like, She's going Don't left at, at, at Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's not that's the right thing to do. That's not that's not a. I did that every single day. That's not the right thing to do. It's the only thing you should be doing. Um, but no, she'll she'll sit there and she will go after a pin and then will let's say if she gets a bad bounce or something happens or she you know overhits it a little bit, she will short side herself and have seven feet from the fringe to the flag, nine ten feet above her head and have a 19 yard uh, pitch because it'll run down the hill. And she's like, instead of just being like, okay, you know what? I messed up this shot. I'm just gonna, you know, make sure that I hit it out there and try and see if I can make a 20 footer. She's like, nah, there's seven feet from the fringe to the flag, there's plenty of room. I'm gonna do this. And she, and she would do it 
the vast majority of the time. Whereas um, Annika, uh, as I've gotten older, I've started to realize just how important boring ass golf could be. And I say that as a person that for the majority of my career could not do boring. Um, I was paired with Annika in her final victory in Kingsmill, Virginia. I forget what year it was. Maybe it was 2010, 11 or 12. I, I don't remember what year it was, maybe 13. Um, and I mean, I was, you know, doing my thing because, you know, the best thing to do when you're playing golf is let alone life is just be yourself. If you're chatty, go ahead and talk. Just don't do it when other people are hitting, you know, just be, be conscientious and be aware and be respectful of other people. Um, you know, or, you know, if you have to do something, keep yourself occupied anyway, do that, you know? And, and so I was just doing my thing, you know, chatting with my caddy, um, you know, having a really good day. I started the day a few strokes back of her and we're on the 15th hole at the river course in uh, 16, excuse me, 16 at, at Kings at the Kings Mill Resort. I look at the leaderboard and it's something absurd. Like, I don't remember if it was like 21, 16, or it might've been 24, 17 or something like that. And I'm like, I'm playing some really good golf. And so I look at Annika and I'm like, we're waiting on the green. I yell at her. I'm like, Hey, Annika. And she's like, yeah, what's going on? I'm like, you were only a few strokes ahead of me at the beginning of the round, right? She's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm playing really well today, I thought. She's like, no, you're playing great. You're shooting. I'm like five under on the day. And I'm like, are you seven under? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but how? And she's like, well, I mean, you just you hit every fairway, you hit every green, you hit every putt that in theory you should make, you know, it's like 15, 20 feet and inside, then, you know, you're seven under. And I'm like, this bitch just like flew under the radar. Like it was not, and it's not to be said in any way disparaging or a criticism whatsoever, but it was just, her golf was so simple. It like might, just, that might be like the best compliment though for a golfer yeah. is to say you make it look just so easy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but you don't, but it's like, it's not even that it's easy. You just yeah. look and you're just like, I don't even like, I, just, I thought you were even on the day. Yeah. I don't understand this. Like, and you know, she just kind of smirked and was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm like five or seven shots ahead of you. And I'm like, cool story, bro. Like, that's really cool. And then to know that I was able to be there and, and walk up the, the 72nd hole with her for her final victory is, is something that I am, I, I, I do cherish because it was a very, very, very cool thing. Um, but yeah, it's there, that in a nutshell would be the difference between the two. The yeah. big nutshell, obviously. So, so this year, uh, you you started off hot. You were playing great, and then we just have this layoff. Are you what what change? What did you change something going into this year? Um, a lot of it is perspective. Um, been working on my game really hard. Um, you know, sending videos, working on you know, just working on different, um angles like realizing that hey you know if you check and wing it in your backswing it's kind of hard to you know come in with you know without a shut face at impact and things like that and you know um just really just sort of uh narrowing my focus a little bit more um and coming to the realization that like i'm i you know it's not i don't work with any of the guys out here like you know, but I've got a bunch of friends that I play with that they're just like, oh, I'm doing this. And I'm just like, okay, well, if you're doing this, have you ever thought that it could be a result of you doing this? And, 
And so it's like sometimes just finding out where the cause of a problem really stems from. Um, and, you know, just been working on my game really hard. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's, it's, I don't see it, but there's a clearly an elephant in the room. And I've like, I've dropped like a little over 50 pounds at this point. Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't on this like quest to lose weight and be sexy or pretty or any of that shit. Like I just wanted to stop consuming as much sugar and as many carbs as I have been and started living the keto lifestyle. Cause I hate the word diet. Like it, what's, it has what, the word what's keto? What's keto? Is it no sugar, no carbs? Um, so it's, it's, uh, so as a human being, generally you consume carbohydrates. This is how, you know, for the most part, this yeah. is how we're designed to consume carbohydrates in whatever form, whether it's through foods, fruits, vegetables, um, you know, if you want to breads, rice, things like that, and then your body will consume them. And then all that magical chemistry that we have going on in ways that we can't even see your carbohydrates get converted into energy. And then that energy is what sustains you and keeps you alive, keeps you moving. And so um, the keto lifestyle, or the ketogenic diet, which was, I think it was founded in like the twenties or the forties um, to actually help combat uh, seizures and epilepsy in a lot of children and adults. It was one of those, like, you know, you just kind of just throw this in the tank, see what happens kind of thing. And they came to find out that, um, you know, there were several cases of children with really severe epilepsy where the epilepsy had greatly been reduced. And this version is so you basically remove a vast majority of the carbohydrates that your body is uh, processing and you instead replenish the um, the source that you need to convert into energy from carbohydrates into fats. And when I mean fats, I mean like um, like avocados, olive oils, olives, nuts. Um, like this is a, this was a kicker for me because I love a good ribeye. So like, you know, good fatty cuts of meat. You don't have to sit there and be like, I'll have filet mignon like once every month or something like that. Um, like salmon, mackerel, things like that. Eggs are great for it. And so for me, it's, I, and I'm not obsessive about it. I don't do the actual numbers, but I am, I've gotten to a point where I, for the most part, know which foods I like, which foods I don't. So, you know, I try and keep my carb count under 30 grams net, which for me is really hard to reach uh, because that's a lot. That's a lot of, excuse me, a lot of carbs to oh, net. You could come hang out, come hang out with me and you'll see how you can get to 30, car- 30 carbs. <laughs> I'm sure there was a time when I would eat 300 grams. Like it's just my, my taste buds have changed. That's, that's the big thing. Like yeah. I, cause I used to be a sugar monster. I would, you know, every time I go to the grocery store, like I'd be like, mm, yeah, I might have a Snickers today or, you know, I'd be like, ah, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'll have a sun kissed or something like that. You know, non-spawn obviously. And like nowadays, like I sit there and I'm just like, if I have strawberries that are like not fully ripe, there's still just a bit of green or white at the top of the strawberry. I'm like, that's so sweet. Like I don't, I can't, I, I can't do it now. Like I crave fat. Like I love avocado. I love um, like good cheeses, meats, things like that. So for me, it's about 70% of my um, daily consumption. I try and keep in, uh, in terms of fats of some sort. And then about 20% I do protein. Now, whether that's, you know, uh, like mackerel, salmon, beef, um, 
dark meat chicken, things like that. And then the remaining 10% I do uh, with carbs, whether that's, you know, like cauliflower, spinach is like my jam. So I'll have spinach all the time. Um, uh, cauliflower, like I said, broccoli, green beans. Um, mm -hmm. I also really started getting into um, dehydrating food because of this current situation in which we are living. I was a lot of people were terrified of toilet paper. Um, I was terrified at the prospect of not being able to get like nutritious food. So I've been like taking zucchinis and like dice or slicing them in a mandolin, sprinkling them with like um, tomato powder, uh, basil, oregano, salt, pepper, some tr uh, sprinkle some truffle on it, a little bit of olive oil, Parmesan cheese. And I've got these like pizza flavored zucchini chips. So like yeah. been doing that, just did some radish chip the other day. Those are going to be good um, for the golf bag too. Oh yeah. Oh, I've, and that's like, obviously right now, since I'm not on tour and I've got my own golf cart, I have a, like a massive, like legit massive Trader Joe sized bag with like, I've got like mushroom chips. I've got macadamia nuts. I've got these Marcona almonds in there. I've got jerky up the wazoo. Um, trying to think I've got so much crap in on me at all times. It's, um, you know, it's, it's it's comical, but I mean, I, I, I freaking love eating, dude. Like, the, that's one thing that I've been really happy about all of this is even though, you know, I've been able to lose some weight, like, I don't feel, I never feel, like, hungry. I always feel satisfied. Like, I'm always, I'm always, you know, if I need to nibble on something, I nibble on something. Um, so it's been super cool. And, and, like, my I feel like my mental clarity has gone up, which I think has been a big part of one reason why I played well in Australia was because, you know, I could think. And I don't know if old me would have just been like, oh, just hit it down the right on 17. It's wider. It's lazy. I can do that. Whereas like, right, you know, like when I played it, I was like, there's, that should all be like chest high grass. Why is there even fairway over there? I don't understand why they even bother putting a fairway over there. This is the only place you should be. This is, this is the only thing that matters here. Um, you know, and, and so you know, I guess, you know, obviously I'm, I'm lighter, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Like I always joke that I have um, like shallow hell syndrome or, you know, I have, um, I, I used to always have like body image dysmorphia, but in the opposite way where I was always, I'd look in the mirror and I'd be like, you got a good heart. Cause I See, look now and I'm like, a good th that's, uh, that's, a good heart. The, you know, American society is way too obsessed with, uh, you know, exterior images versus the interior so that's it's a good thing yeah i know plenty quality. of people that look like nines that i'm like nah dude you're if you're in a good mood you're about a five because <laughs> of who you are inside um so a couple of our questions before you know you've been uh been more than grace we're, we're flying through uh time here um what uh You've you've played LPGA and LAT, both of them. Compare compare the two. What's what's the experience? Are they are they similar? What's the you know the key things of each tour? Um, I'm not gonna lie. In in many ways, I think that the LAT, the Ladies European Tour, there is a bit more of a sense of camaraderie and family. Um, the LPGA feels a little bit more like a business and neither of those things are a criticism mm -hmm. whatsoever. I think that, um, you know, and, and I don't know why, I mean, maybe just because at times financially speaking, 
people would compare the ladies European tour to the Symmetra tour, which for me, I was, I was always just aghast at the concept of it because I did play on the futures tour. Obviously this was back in the Mesozoic era and have played on the ladies European tour. And there's, there's so many stark differences. Um, like you get girls that are so passionate about golf. Like Megan McLaren is, you know, she's one of my girls and I think she is just so remarkable. She's on this, not war path, but she is, she's determined for people to understand the concept of, Hey, maybe women could be compensated, you know, period. And, um, you know, you've got some, you know, you've got some great talents on the, on the ladies European tour. And it's just a little bit sad. There were some, um, things that took place within the infrastructure of the ladies European tour a number of years ago that had that combined with like economic crises around Europe and, and around the globe kind of stunted the, the growth in which they were um, supposed to be trajectory, the trajectory was supposed to be on because like when I play, when I was a member of the ladies European tour, I would play 11 events a year and keep a full schedule on the LPGA. Like again, because I'm like, I ain't going back to Florida. Like at least now I have friends. So I have people that I want to hang out with, but I would be like, you want me on the road 45 weeks out of the year? Right, let's do it. And um, so there were a number of things that took place that that kind of uh, negatively impacted the ladies European tour. But it's fun. The girls are so they're so smart. They're so funny. They're so vibrant. I feel like some of the girls on the ladies. I feel like you have more bombers on the ladies European tour than you do on the LPGA. Like consistently, consistently, um, and. Like, obviously, the golf is different, you know, like we on the ladies European tour, you're not necessarily always going to play a, you know, perfectly manicured, like you can see the fairway cut down as if it was, you know, sliced with a blade, this and that with our, you know, greens rolling out of 13, blah, 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 whatever. Like I sit there and I'm just like, dude, this is like, you, you might say rustic, you might say rugged, but this is golf. Like this is mm-hmm. a different style of golf. Like that's one reason why the loop is one of my favorite courses on the planet, because it is just, it's just, it's natural. It's real. It's authentic. And it's, I mean, it's fescue. So I'm obviously going to love it immediately. Um, but it's, there's, there's something just really, I don't know. It, it tugs more at my heartstrings on the ladies European tour Whereas I feel like it's a little bit more business-like on the LPGA. And neither, again, neither of those is better than the other. They're just completely different in terms of entities. Yeah. And I, I imagine some of that comes with purse size. You know, when when there's of more course. money at stake, that it becomes more business-like. It's, it's one of the tough things is that, like maintaining culture as, as a business growth. Um, yeah, it, that, that makes yeah, sense. Not to mention America doesn't really have culture <laughs> compared to places like Europe compared to places like Asia. Like what, what is American culture? It's so big. Like that word can be so, so vastly different in definition from one street corner to another, you know, it could be, yeah. I mean, you can look at all, all over the country and you can see there's drastically different cultures right now, given, you know, the circumstances and, and, Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, it's a fascinating aspect of it that, that makes sense. The culture is, is a big aspect of, of the ladies European tour probably being that way. 
Um, culture and identity, yeah. So we talked about how the LPGA has changed. What would you like to see happen in the next five years? If you if there is one thing that you'd like to see kind of rise, a change rise in the next five years, what would it be? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, not necessarily for selfish reasons at all, but just because in theory, I, I believe it would be the quote unquote right thing to do. Purse increases because that means that the LPGA is being, um, and just women's golf in general around the globe, just the recognition of the fact that we are the best female golfers in the world. And, you know, the, there's there's something to be said about the entertainment factor um, of the PGA Tour where, you know, like LeBron who can dunk like, um, you know, like, like Maggie Cabrera who can hit home runs, like, Aaron Rodgers, who can throw a Hail Mary on a dime. There is something to be said about Brooks Kepka, who can bomb it. You know, you got Cameron Champ, who is just obscenely long. Um, yeah, like these are basically inhuman things that I think that's maybe one of the reasons why the numbers and the ratings get so big is because it's something that is, in essence, unattainable. Whereas the women, we provide a very unique product because compare it to 90% of the average golfers, you know, average good relatable. golfers. It's, it's relatable. Yes. Like, I don't under, I just don't, I don't get it. Like the thing I, I think too, is like the, I mean, the architecture is so much more like important for you guys too. Absolutely. It, it's like, absolutely, yeah, they're the fairway bunker. Like, no, we can't just bomb it over it. So yeah, we actually have to know where it is. It's not going to be someone who's like, Hey, you know, uh, caddy sitting there. Like there's a story of a one, one tour player years ago. It was like, um, his caddy started working for him for the first week. And was like, okay, well you've got a bunker at, and he like stopped them. I was like, mate, real quick. If it's less than 300 yards in the air, I don't need to know about it. <laughs> I mean, cool. And, but... and like, if you hit it in the rough, like it matters versus like, you see these guys now that it's just like, Oh, I'm just going to hit a wedge straight up in the air and it, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter that I'm in the rough. It's still going to stop mm-hmm. the same way. It's, it, yeah, I and think there's, there's intent. It's much more of a thoughtful game. It's, it's less of a sure. power game, more of a thoughtful game. For sure. It's, it, in my opinion, it's more of a complete game. Um, and, and not, not that there's anything really incomplete about what's going on on the men's tour. It's just with the way technology has, has gone, it, there's, there's, there's one thing to be said about the artistry of ball striking when you can have, you know, a hundred and forty mile an hour ball speed with a seven iron or whatever, you know, like as opposed to just really having finesse. And you know, again, when it comes to that entertainment factor, you know, the fact that the PJ Tour has the same sand every single week, like sand from the same manufacturer brought to every golf course a certain amount of time prior to a tournament taking place, like. I'll sit there and I'll be like, I don't know if the sand is the same on this side of the bunker versus that side of the bunker, like eight feet away, because heaven forbid a bunker used to be deemed an actual hazard. Yeah. You know, so there is, you know, I mean, and like on tour, I never sit there rarely. I mean, there might be some times when I'm like, get in the bunker, you you know, if the, the rough is nine inches deep, whereas you know, the guys are always like, get in the bunker, get in the bunker. He's missing the green, get in the bunker. And I'm like, why would you want it to get in the bunker? You're supposed to stay on the grass. I, I don't. One of my uh, one of my things that I hope is that golf comes back 
during this uh, the virus soon sooner than later, obviously, you know, as soon as it's safe, but that there, you know, the likelihood, no fan events with as few volunteers as possible. And, and there's no rakes. That would be to me like one of the coolest things because, you know, I this, love that. that, you know, you leave, you putt with the pin in and there's no rakes on the golf course. And then it would be a great way to reintroduce that. Like the, one of the most compelling stories I think is the, um, is Jack Nicholas when he went to the furrowed rake tines in the 2006 yeah, yeah, memorial and people yeah. went nuts, but Carl Pedersen won. He only hit it in two bunkers all week. And he talked about it. He's like, Oh yeah, I changed the way I played this golf course because I wanted to avoid bunkers at all costs. And that's the way it should be. Absolutely. That's the way the game was founded on. Like yeah. you're not supposed to have a perfect lie in a bunker. You're not supposed to be able to, intuitively gauge immediately within an error percentage of 5% of how the ball's going to react. You're not supposed to, this it's a hazard. That's, 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 you know, that's, but again, this is to an extent entertainment when it comes to the PJ tour, again, not a criticism. It's just, there has been an evolution of the game in, in many regards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bound to happen. You know, every game's evolved, you know, so um, all right, last question. What's the uh, the golf course you are hoping to most get to this year? I have a very long list, but for me would probably be Crystal Downs. Oh, that's a good one. You guys have that tournament up in northern Michigan, too. In Midland, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's within 90 minutes of there. I think is what it was, or maybe it was three hours. I can't remember, but that's a team tournament, the, right? Yes. Yes. The Dow, um, the greater Midlands uh, invitational, the, uh, the Dow GBI, I think is what it is. Um, yeah. So, Oh, and that's right. Haley Moore, who is a rookie on the LPJ tour and is someone I've known for, I think she's 21 now for six years or so. She and I are going to be partners. I'm super oh, that's excited. awesome. Yeah. And she's, she's awesome because she can murder the ball, but she has some of the most soft hands you'll ever see. Like, keep an eye out for her. Like, no joke. Keep an eye out for her in the, in the coming years um, and for a very long time. But you, I you would play, say Crystal Down. You played the, con, uh, the congruent, I always mess up these words, the, the, the congruent uh, event down in Australia, the men's Vic and Open. women's. Yeah, the Vic Open. How yeah. Was that, was that, how cool was that experience? So that was where I was going to go when you said if I uh, the things you wanted to change with uh, within the next five years of the LPJ tour that would have been um, number two in my books of having more events like that. It was it was so cool. Like it is my second time around because last year was my first encounter with it, and it's it's so funny. I mean, I, I'm 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 in a very happy relationship, obviously, and I just remember on like Saturday I like walk up to Morgan Pressel, I'd be like, and she's very happily married, and I'm like, why? boys here like I felt like a kid because it's like you know I remember I saw Jeff Ogilvie for the first time last year and I saw him again this year and it was still like I had the same reaction of just like you know like a four-year-old girl that meets like a very handsome man and I'm like I can't speak like I I'm just completely starstruck and just mesmerized by this man um you know and and then you know in practice rounds you're able to go out and play with the guys and it's so funny because i'd be there and i like this year i played with brett rumford who has one of rumsford who has one of the best short games you will ever see like follow him on instagram he he's it's just stupid 
and uh, Aaron Pike, who's um, a buddy of mine um, that I met last year, actually. And it's just so funny because it's like whenever I'd be talking to any of the guys, like I met I met Sean Croker, uh, Crocker and then I've known Sam Horsfield since he was like 14. So I've known him forever. And they were both over there. They just came back, I believe, from the tournament in Saudi Arabia and you just sit there and you're, I'm just like, you guys hit it so far. Yeah. And they're like, but you guys hit it so straight. And so we're like in awe of each other. And like you can gain an appreciation for the other genders game styles. And so they, we have two golf courses and they stagger it where the tee times are male, female, male, female, male, female. So as a spectator, you can watch the best men and then immediately or previously to that watch the best women and be able to see like the different ways in which people can and do play golf like it's it's just so cool and though this sense of community the ropes were taken down and that's how the tournament had always been been held and so all the spectators that came out to watch are very respectful like you'd walk down the fairway with the spectators and you know they have a great sense of reading people's personalities and people's moods and things like that and you know, I would strike up a conversation with someone or something like that. Or, you know, if they, if I was playing with someone who might have been a little bit more um, introverted, you know, they, they could tell, like, oh, I'm not going to chat someone up just because she's there, you know. And so it's, I, it was it was just really cool. It was it's truly one of my favorite tournaments. And Simon Brookhouse um, of uh, Golf Australia, formerly Golf Victoria, he had this idea that came into fruition years ago that is just for me, it's a perfect I mean, it's, it's, it's a template for so many tournaments I'm hoping that come in the future. Yeah. It's it's a cool, I want to, I got to get down there maybe, maybe this year, but I say that every year. So we'll see when I get down there. Maybe we can make it happen. I know that would be, you get so much good work done and then be able to play golf for so long because the sun will basically never set. I just, I got, I got to see if, uh, if a, a newborn child can fly to Australia. Congratulations! No oh. way! Oh, oh yeah! Yeah! Wow! Yeah, so that will they'll be like three months old. Then. Oh my gosh, that's incredible! Yeah, life's gonna change soon. So yeah, oh, you're not gonna sleep for another forty years to be fair. <laughs> so, um, hey, thanks uh, so much for your time. We'll have to do this again. Hopefully, next time under better circumstances, in person, you know. I agree and, uh, completely. Maybe maybe we'll have played uh, played a good round of golf before. So I would love that. And I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me on. This is honest to God, the number one podcast that I've wanted to be on for literal years. Hey, so this is I'm sorry it took so long. It's all good. No, hey, I I anytime I would like look at the list of guests and I'm like, well duh, like of course I would have him on or oh my god, like there's another yo you won't like yoke with dope like obviously like I, of course like I, are you kidding me i no i'm just i'm i'm so thankful that you were able to be able to fit me in like this was just yeah. this is amazing it's, it's more i wanted to do it, it i like to I've, I've become a snob i i used to always do them over skype and and now i've uh I've, i became accustomed to doing in-person pods and now we're back to not doing in-person pods so it was uh, it was more of a waiting when we were in the same spot at the same time. Oh, okay, that's fair enough too. Then yeah. and it's just stars. The stars were aligned for us to not meet up and all that stuff, and so we had to do it virtually. Yeah. But no, honestly, I'm I'm so 
thankful. Like this was, oh, I'm, I hope I didn't come off as too much of an idiot because this was, I, I was actually really concerned about that. <laughs> not, not an idiot at all. I'm, I'm the biggest idiot in the world. So it's, uh, it will, if people can follow you on social media, you're very active. You're good follow there on Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, thank you. thank you so much. And, uh, hopefully we'll see you playing golf here soon. Yeah. Well, you will see me playing golf whenever it is safe for us to do so. And yeah. that's all that matters, whether it's middle of June, whether it's August, whether it's 2021, um, as long as everyone is safe and everyone is uh, on the path to figuring things out. That's, you know, I mean, the, as, as much as I love golf, I love the idea of people staying healthy and staying alive more than that. But thank yeah. you. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks. That was, that was fun. That was great. That was great. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, I might try to do something different when we release this. I, I, I was thinking today, I was talking with Will, um, who works for us, uh, about doing maybe like an Instagram live for like five minutes. I don't know. It, you know how you can do those where you talk? Yeah, to, the duels. Yeah. Do you want to maybe yeah. try and do that? Yeah. When? I don't know, like Sunday or Monday. Okay. Yeah, I'm down. All right. I'm I'll, down. I'll just text you. I'll text you. Works. Yeah. For sure. And we'll ask Give like, me- we'll ask like, questions like what's your favorite fruit okay you got it but just make sure that um you give me at least 30 minutes of uh of of uh, a window so that i can make sure my eyebrows are drawn off because i'm not going to do an instagram live without my eyebrows no of course i, I i'll uh i'll text you I, I i gotta you know i gotta yeah i can't be looking like i'm looking now i look like a schmuck because i haven't showered and I'm in sweatpants, so you're I, beautiful. Stop, stop, stop. You're gorgeous. But uh, we'll uh, we'll I'll I'll text you. So, okay, sounds good. You, yeah. Thank you. Again. Hey, thank you. I, I pre- that was a lot of fun. That was that right. was awesome. All right, All right. Talk thanks, to you Andy. Soon. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Have a good weekend. You too. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.